Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Uh, Have you seen the Lego house? I I really want to go there. I mean, it looks expensive, but um, I would love to go there. Somebody like there's a like a full house. Well, it's a it's a museum. It's it's owned by Lego, and it's it's sort of built from above. It looks like blocks that have been stacked in a certain way, and yeah, it just looks incredible. There's a documentary on it in Netflix called Lego House. Amazing. I um, want to go there. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker. I have a special guest today, Heidi the dog, who is a little Jack Russell Terrier, and made me edit this episode because uh, she's chatty. She's a chatty one. She also sits on my shoulder like a parrot, which is awesome because i feel like a pirate with a dog which is sort of how i think i would be a pirate so she may make an appearance here in the intro and outro today uh we definitely got her out of the episode because she was very excited um on the show today if you've been listening and following along with what we're doing one of the things that i said i wanted to do was have more romance and rom-com writers on the program and uh, that's what we're doing. Today on the program, uh, Giovanni Cherica, who also writes under the name Rhoda Baxter. We get into that, obviously. Um, her She's got a book out now, Playing for Love. She's got another one coming out in October. The second half of this interview, super fascinating because we sort of got into the business of writing a little bit. Um, she does two books a year, which is like, that's shit's just crazy. Like, I don't even know how people do that. I'm always so impressed by people that both have the skill and uh, fortitude and creativity to crank books out like that. And when you hear her story, it is not actually going to seem that surprising to you. Like, this is like the smartest person I've ever had on the show. Um, super, super uh motivated like it's just one of those things like i just get the idea that she doesn't really do downtime at all and she's just delightful um we had a hoot uh Giovanni writes multicultural women's fiction and rom-coms as i said writes under the pen name rhoda baxter uh her books have been shortlisted for various awards as she says, one day she'll actually win one. Uh, she's British Sri Lankan, and she loves all things science geeky, which is not even a lie. The whole first half of this interview is not about writing. Obviously, if you listen to the program, um, a nerd after my own heart. I had to actually edit out like some Lego stuff, which is awesome. Uh, loves cake, crochet, obviously Legos. Uh, you can find out more about her and get a free book over at her website. So you should click on over there and do that. Um, we just had a really good time. I love smart people. And I love uh, people that just kind of take on the world. It always impresses me. 
So I think you're going to have a good time with her today. Uh, before we get to that interview, as you know, three shows here on the channel, the jam that you're listening to now out every Wednesday on Mondays, we'll either have jam sessions, which is our nonfiction show where we take a deep dive with a nonfiction author into the topic they're writing about or the after party, which is our weird ass storytelling Q and a, which I just fucking love. Um, couple things to help us out. Tell your friends about us. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcast or the Facebook page. You know, we got a website where we do website things, book reviews, newsletters, stuff like that. You can support the entire Solid Listen Podcast Network by clicking on the Patreon button there. 12 shows, commercial-free episodes, all kind of bonus content. Malls and Nicole are working their asses off uh, making the nicest corner of the internet. So I appreciate you guys stopping by the bunker today for just a few minutes. And by just a few minutes, I mean an hour. I think it's going to go by real fast. And now, why don't you sit on back, grab a drink, enjoy my conversation with Jeevani Cherica. Well, near London. Um <laughs> But traveled a lot. So uh, my my parents are Sri Lankan. Well, they're British, but they're Sri Lankan by by origin. And um, dad's an engineer. So he likes to go and build roads and dams and things. And we just got dragged along. So yeah. we've lived in lived in Sri Lanka for a bit, lived in Nigeria for a bit, lived in Yap, which is a island in Micronesia. Oh, you should look that one up. That's always hilarious on Google Maps because there's like a dot and then nothing. <laughs> and then you pan out and still nothing and you pan out again. And then like maybe a few other dots. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, so you were born in London? Um, yeah. Watford near London. Yeah. And uh, did you have brothers and sisters growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Also born in England and then traveled around the world. So I've got one little brother. Yeah. Oh, so you're the older. Yeah. Were you guys close? Uh, I think we're closer now than we were when we were kids. We used to fight a lot. One, oh, one set of Lego, difference? one set of Meccano, you know. <laughs> what's the age difference? Oh, three years, just about. Oh, so like you guys were, that was close enough that you were in the same schools and like sort of doing around. Yeah, yeah. Enough to get on each other's nerves. But now that we don't live in the same house, we get on so much better. Um, also, now that we have kids as well, we have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> so what, like, were you guys just different? Um. Yeah. Yeah, very, very different outlook and um, the things we enjoyed doing. I was always like nosing a book and he was always cars. He still is a petrol head and I'm still nosing a book. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, I feel like that that didn't change. No. <laughs> so like, what were you what was your childhood like? Like, what were you like as a kid? I know you just said you read, but like, who were you as a kid? Uh, the nerd. Um, I, I read a lot. Um, so we were in Nigeria when when I was in pre was preschooly age. So my mom taught me to read. So by the time I went to school, I could already read, which kind of meant that I got to uh, the school librarian. I just went and said, "These books are really dull. Can I have some real books, please?" And she kind of supervised what I read to make sure I didn't read anything that was too far out of my my zone. But she let me use the big girls' school, you know, the big girls' library, and that kind oh, really? of thing. Yeah, and it's always great to have somebody like that, you know, who is supportive. <laughs> so, yeah. And so you said you were moving around a lot. Like, was that hard? Because did that happen early in your life? 
Like dab is um, making you Yeah, so Nigeria, um, uh, well, when I started school, we went to Sri Lanka and stayed there for a while, but um, went to Yap when I was 13, 12, 13, something like that. That was hard. Um, but we weren't in Yap for very long because um, I was falling behind in my schooling in compared to my my friends. So my dad said, right, okay, you know, we've done like, I don't know, eight months or something. You best go back just for the school stuff. So, uh, yeah. So it was especially hard because dad was still over there because he had a contract to finish. Oh, so he stayed and you guys he went He stayed back and home. we went, we're back. Um, and then I was when, moving around as a kid. Like if you, cause I'm assuming if you're like a book kid, you're kind of shy into yourself. Like, yeah, yeah, that was, hard. that was weird. Um, I was fine if I found other book kids, but I didn't always find them because they're also shy. Yeah. <laughs> there's, not, there's not a big meeting of the shy book kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I was, what, 16 when we moved back to Yorkshire. That was a, a hell of a culture shock because I don't know. I mean, you said you've got friends in Sheffield. Yeah. There's quite a strong accent in the north. And so people could understand me perfectly well. I couldn't understand them. So it took uh, like a week and then... I was like, oh, okay, now I get you. You know, once you got your ear in, you were fine. Um, so yeah, that that was weird. Um, and then, yeah, so been in England since I was sixteen. So. You said back to Yorkshire. Did you guys live there at some point? Like, what was the like? Where was the chat? Like London. So to... yeah, so it was London, and then very rural Sri Lanka for a bit, where Dad was building roads. Uh, then London again. Then Nigeria. Uh, then London again. Then Sri Lanka again, <laughs> uh, and then Yap, then back to Sri Lanka, and then came back to England, but to the north rather than the south. Yeah, which is a whole different for people that aren't yeah, there. Like it's a, a whole country. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody always refers to like there's London and then there's England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was traveling around in the north, people were like, "Yeah, the, that's an anomaly in this country." <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> So what was it like moving around that much as a kid, like going to new schools? Like, did you just get used to it or did you really just sort of say, well, I'm not going to be here very long, so I'm going to find the library. I'm going to do this thing and like study. Well, and... Bit of both, bit of both. I was very into my studying, like I say, nerd. Um, and so long as there was a library, I was mostly OK <laughs> because there was always somewhere to go, you know, Um but no, I think I did get used to it to an extent. I think when you travel around a lot, that kind of people are the same everywhere. Even though you you think people are really different, if you see enough groups of people, you realize people are the same everywhere. And uh, yeah, that's quite a good thing. Now with hindsight, it's a really good thing to have learned. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, adult, the adult travel thing is always like, if you travel a lot as a kid, I think it only makes sense later. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. when you're like, oh, now I can interact in the world. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is all very normal to me. Yeah, exactly. E even like the, the different stuff is just different. It's not wrong because yeah. you've seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I'm assuming you're like me because we we traveled, we camped through America. But then when I got older, my my friends all live in Europe. So I would spend three, four months in the summer just sort of traveling around. Mm. And I now having done that, I feel very comfortable walking into a place or a culture or whatever, where I don't know anything 
And being yeah. like, oh, okay, this is exciting. Like, let's- Yeah, I can learn new stuff. That's, yeah. that's the way I look at it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's gonna be like, not that new. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's your version uh, of the thing we do. Like, yeah, yeah, got it. All exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and and also if you like food, that's always good. There's always new food. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I spent a lot of time in Germany and Europe or England. So I'm like, eh, I mean, the food was not great. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's some uh I know British get a really bad reputation for, for food, but there's some things which are like on a really cold day, it is yeah. the perfect meal. Puddings, right? Stodgy yeah. puddings, perfect. <laughs> My friend took me on a walkabout and we did uh, cream tea. Uh, oh, it, yeah. 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 Uh, and Americans yeah, we, don't know what that is. I didn't know do what it is. Do not mess with the puddings in, in England. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cream tea was, I was like, we can't eat this before we go on a hike. And then I ate like seven things. And I was like, <laughs> well, we got to do like a six hour walkabout now. And I yeah. tell my American friends all the time, like, guys, cream tea. That Like, I don't know why yeah, yeah. we don't have that here. We need to have this here. <laughs> Did you get into the whole debate of whether you put the cream first or the jam first? That's uh, like a big I, debate. I don't even know because I was with an artist and she just said, do it this way. And I did it. So I'm guessing if I talk to people, they'd be like, yeah, you had cream tea wrong. And I'm like, well, okay, whatever. Yes. Yeah. So uh, there's Devon and Cornwall, which are right next to each other. And in, in Devon, they do it one way and in Cornwall, they do it the other way. And like, you'll inevitably get somebody going, no, that's not how you do it. <laughs> that feels like the most human thing ever. You've eaten this sweet thing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now we don't like each other. Like, I mean, yes. oh, what? What the fuck's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Friendly argument, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like when you like when you got to middle grades in high school, like what was life like for you at that point? Like, who were you then? Because you guys um, sort of set. Did you settle when you you said your dad sort of brought you back? Yeah. So when I was 16, we came to sixth form, which is which is like upper yeah. high school yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so i that was three years of doing that and i think it took me a year to really settle in i discovered terry pratchett along the way so that <laughs> helped it's my physics teacher actually <laughs> wait well, what somebody somebody he wasn't my physics teacher it was my okay. physics teacher that told me about it so yeah somebody had lent me a book and i was reading it in physics class waiting for the lessons to start and my teacher had noticed and then about, I don't know, a couple of months later, he brought me this flyer, which said Terry Pratchett is signing books in Leeds Waterstones bookshop. And he just kind of said, you might be interested in this and just passed it over to me. <laughs> and so I was like, badgered my dad. And so my dad's right, fine. So we stood out in the rain because England, you know, um, so a massive queue out of the shop right in the rain. And my physics teacher was also in the queue. Um, so, yeah, so that was quite nice. So occasionally, like, before the lessons, if if I was there, there was me and another kid who was into it. And we'd just chat with him about, about Terry Pratchett and the footnotes, you know, all of the physics footnotes that he used to put in. Oh, that's why he said, I'm not a big Pratchett fan. So I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. yeah he, the older books have a lot of physics in them. So that really was a nerdy conversation. It was a very nerdy conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like you'd like the book and then would have conversations about the physics and the footnotes. Yeah. Yeah, very nerdy. But I mean, like, when I say I'm not, I'm nerdy, I'm not kidding. Because um, yeah. when when my first book came out, um, the publisher said, do, do you want to use a, a pen name? 
because you know your name is kind of difficult to spell and i was like okay fine so i came up with rhoda baxter right so there you go um and that's because i did my phd on a bacterium called rhodobacter and when i needed a name i was like rhodobacter rhodobacter <laughs> so yeah the nerd never leaves you <laughs> no and that is like that is like sci-fi comedy thing right there like yeah. that line you just said would be in some sci-fi tv show where somebody's like well i came up with it because of this bacteria yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is i think maybe the most telling thing about you right there <laughs> yeah so when you're in high school and sort of settled in and like back and you got this physics teacher and you're reading like what are you what's the do you have a plan like what's your trajectory like what do you think your life is going to be to be honest, I probably had vague plans. I was probably going to save the world. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to do science because that's one of the things I was good at. And um, I liked physics, but I didn't like the maths. Yeah. Um, and I didn't particularly, I mean, I liked chemistry as well, but again, maths. Um, so I ended up doing biochemistry, which is kind of halfway between biology and chemistry. Uh, so yeah, so I ended up doing that. Um, I did briefly toy with the idea of doing English literature because that was my other interest. And my dad was like, no, do science, get a real job <laughs> and then write books in your spare time. Yeah, and that's what I do now, which is just awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I have interviewed hundreds of people over the years. I've been doing this and I hear that story a lot where a parent yeah. is like, I mean, is writing a job like maybe you should get it something else. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> writing is a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you yes. feel that way? Like when you were like, did, did you have dreams of being a writer when you reading all these books and doing stuff? Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. I, I, I distinctly remember right when I was uh, maybe nine. Um, I asked for a bookcase <laughs> for my birthday and my parents got me this really big bookcase. Um, and I remember looking at all of the Enid Blyton books that I had. So big, famous five fan um, and thinking, I think at some point in that year, I'd realized that she wasn't alive anymore. <laughs> right. And I was like, she's dead. But this stuff that was in her head is now in my head. <laughs> and that's just incredible. And I just remember thinking, I want to do that. That is a you very know? heady nine year old philosophical. Yeah, it was that using. kind of bookcase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever because I had the bookcase, too, and I I read sci fi like Asimov <laughs> and Bradbury. Like I was just obsessed with that stuff. I don't know if I ever had a thought of like, oh, this will live on. Like after this will live on yeah. after they, Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. I, to me, it felt magical. Like I always wanted to be a writer and I wrote. Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you had this experience, but like. I didn't think people like me, like writers seemed magical to me and I did not feel magical like, oh, I'll not be that person. Yeah, well, I knew that Arthur C. Clarke was a real person, if that makes sense, because he lived in Sri Lanka and my dad had a friend who worked with him. And he was like, he spoke to his friend and he said, you know, my daughter's a real nerd. She would love to meet Arthur C. Clarke. She's read all his books, da, da, da. And so I was supposed to go and meet Arthur C. Clarke and then he fell ill and then it just never happened. But I knew he was real. Because, you know, this conversation at least happened. So, yes, yeah, so that was around the time when I think he had a stroke or something and he got very ill. 
but that was a even though I mean, I knew the writers were real, but like yeah. I, like the idea of it being a job when I say magical, I just meant like, well, I don't know how how does one get paid to do that? Yeah, like, that true, does true. not. That seems like a magical pipe dream that will never happen. To be honest, that still does feel like a magical yeah. pipe dream sometimes. <laughs> also, I've had that conversation yeah. with a lot of writers. <laughs> In, like I ended up doing, <clears throat> I ended up doing the other thing. Like I became a magazine journalist. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. well, journalism will pay you to write. Yeah. But books still felt like. No. Yeah. Other world. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know how people do that, but you didn't have that. Like that wasn't a thing that kept you from wanting to be a writer. No, um, no. And I think also because I'd been kind of pushed in the science direction, I was, I always wanted to be a writer, but it was like not the only thing that I could do. So, so yeah, so I ended up with the whole science thing instead. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to university, I, I stopped reading or writing during term time because it was just too much to do. Yeah. So um, I went to Oxford and Oxford has a compressed term. And they cram in uh, about, I don't know, 16 weeks worth of work into eight weeks. Oh my so God. you just do not have time to absorb anything. You are just constantly on the go. And um, at the time, it was just what you did. But then I'd come back and I'd talk to my friends who'd gone to like other universities and their workload was so light compared to mine. Uh, but then you got nice, these nice long holidays, right? But the kicker was on the second day after you got back from your holidays you would have an exam so in your holidays you had to absorb everything you'd learned in the term right so um i would spend it was like drinking from a fire hose just information yeah. information so i'd go home and then i'd sleep for two days straight just getting up for meals and then because i couldn't slow down i'd go and check out like six books from the library like pratchett if i could find it <laughs> if not anything and just kind of read until i slowed down to normal speed <laughs> and then then like have my holiday and then the last two weeks were spent studying for the exam that you had before term starts. Um, so yeah, there wasn't really very much time for the writing. Yeah. It was hard enough doing the reading. <laughs> and that was, so did you go to Oxford for what? Undergraduate. So. No, what I mean, like what were you studying? Biochemistry. So that was the thing you went to study. Yeah. That's what I went to study. And uh, that sounds like law school. <laughs> like with that fire hose, like here's everything and there's no here's way, everything. Yeah. 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 And there's no way you're going to memorize all this. And you're, did they do the ranking thing where it's like only a few people can get A's, few people can get B's? Yeah. 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 It, yeah. That, so it is like you did law school as an undergraduate with chemistry. <laughs> with <the laughs> with biochemistry. Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. How did you handle that as a kid? That must have been hard as shit. Looking back now, it probably, yeah, it was. Um, they always say that if you make it to like, if you make it past your first term, you probably make it because the drop-off rate is quite high in the first I'm sure. Um, and then like second year is like the fun year because there's no exams that year. So you have exams in year one, exams in three and four, but not in, in two. So, you know, second year was lovely. What, what, why are there no exams? I, when I taught, I actually didn't give exams, but like, why were there no exams in year two? I don't know. You got tested on the stuff in year three, so. <laughs> oh, so like you were still getting tested. They were just like, you're going to have it's to just wait postponed. a whole year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that actually feels like not the fun year then. That feels like you get to the end of year two and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, 
it's fun until you hit that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh shit. Yeah, Learn all of this stuff. And yeah, I should have paid stuff. way more attention. <laughs> yeah. What were yeah. we doing? <laughs> so as you're doing um that at Oxford, are you like, do you think like, oh, this, my career is going to be this? Like, are you like yeah. full into that? Yeah, I was I was uh, pretty sure I wanted to be a biochemist and I wanted to go and work in industry. I didn't really want to do research. Um, and then I did um, did a fourth year project. So the fourth year project is three months in the lab. So it's like a like a small slice of a master's project. Yeah, like a practicum. Yeah, yeah like a practical. Yeah. So, yeah, and you, you write it all up and you write a little thing. Um, and and I thought, OK, well. PhD sounds good because otherwise I'd have to find a real job. So, uh, and then I was like, well, I could go to the US um, or I could stay here. So I applied for a few PhD places here, but I also thought, oh, you know, I'll just see what it's like. So I went to Georgia and I volunteered essentially in a lab there for six weeks. Yeah. UGA. Georgia, meaning the US state, yeah. not the country. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. And so, so what, like, what was in Georgia that you were like, yeah, that's where I want to go? Oh, my aunt and uncle lived there. <laughs> okay, I'm like, because that feels like yeah, yeah. a, so a bit feels of like a random jump. leap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from Oxford yeah. to Georgia feels like there's got to yeah. be some anchor there. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had, because um, I had somewhere to stay, because I stayed with my aunt. Um, and I think uh, the university, my university, Oxford, paid for the flights. I got uh, a grant from them for the flights. So it worked out not terribly expensive. I just wasn't getting paid for the time that I was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was good and that was interesting. Um, was that after you graduated or was that part of that practice? That was while I was waiting to find out whether I'd graduated. Okay. So, yeah. Um, You're a very ambitious person. I was, yes. I was. Yeah. So, okay. So we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> the past tense. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, then I got offered a PhD in Oxford. Oh, so you uh, applied to like, they took you right like at the same university. Yeah, so I stayed different college, but I stayed. So Oxford yeah. has like 30 odd colleges. And yeah. so I moved to a graduate college. Uh, but the main driver was, well, partly because I'd done my my dissertation thing in the same lab. So I already knew the lab. I knew the background of it and all that. Yeah. And also I then had a boyfriend in Oxford and I kind of wanted to be near him. <laughs> um, so, I know in America, it's a lot of times they won't take you in the same university. They make you go oh, get a okay. PhD other places because they want you to learn. They want you to diffuse their knowledge. So you're right. not just learning from the same folks. Oxford, yeah. I realize, is Oxford. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're like, they there's not a better Cambridge, place. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're at the best place. We're good. Just stay here. <laughs> so what you is it a PhD in biochemistry? It's microbiology, so about Rhodobacter spheroides. So it was um, that gets back to the yeah. So it was about um, chemosensory proteins. So how they can sense their food because um, they don't have eyes or noses or anything, sure. but they swim towards their food. And it was it was trying to untangle the pathway that told them they were going the right way. And so, what was it that what what took you to that? Um, partly the project, the, the dissertation project. Um, yeah, I think it was mainly just that when, when I was looking at dissertation projects, I liked the sound of the project because it sounded sort of nicely 
I self-contained and I, I liked the um, supervisor. She was a little bit scary, but I, I liked her. <laughs> I mean. And yeah. And then obviously once I was in the lab, I got to know everyone and, um, and yeah, it's that camaraderie of the lab is one of my favorite things. And yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Mine is the actual work of the PhD, which is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it made those first four years be like, I long for the days of the eight week crammed semester. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this, this is quite dull. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. went right from undergraduate into the PhD. So you're doing like eight, nine years straight of college. He was nearly eight. Yeah. So yeah. Seven and a half, nearly eight. Yeah. And then that's I kind of. Quick. That's pretty quick for a PhD. It's not not here because um, okay. in the U.S. it's much longer, and in in Germany I think it's five years. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas here it's about three to three and a half. So. Oh, gotcha. So, so you're my, right on. my undergraduate was four years, and then uh, three and a half years of PhD. I mean, that seems more rational than the six years here. Yeah, yeah, but then I guess you also work and publish in more in that six years. So. Yeah. So you're not you were not doing that. You were just doing lab work when you were there. Primarily, yeah. primarily. Doing yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, PhD comics, the, the, there's a comic that's online and uh, they talk about how graduate students are just basically like unpaid staff. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. But you love, you love the work. Um, I did when I started by the end of it, I was, I was a lot less in love with it. Um, <laughs> less, and, you cared less about how they got to their food. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, there's a food. Go find it. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I finished it and I thought, well, I'd like still quite like to go into industry, um, but I was less interested in doing the lab work. So I somehow ended up in a seminar where they were talking about patent work, intellectual property patents. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll become a patent lawyer because then you get to be at the cutting edge of science without actually having to do the science. So you uh, get your PhD in science and then you're like, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, but patent lawyers are scientists to start with. So okay. a lot of them do have PhDs in science. But you so would anyways, have to go to law school. Uh, well, sort of. Yeah. Okay. You have to pass exams. That's another seven years of exams. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I applied for a few things and I was getting quite close, but microbiologists were not very fashionable. If you had like, I don't know, cancer research or something, then you were much more likely to get a job. So I thought, right, okay, fine. Um, I saw a job for a, a information scientist at a patent firm, um, which was a weird nebulous job at the time. It wasn't really uh, established thing. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll get a couple of years experience doing that. And that'll, that'll push me past the cancer scientist people, <laughs> maybe get me a job as a patent attorney. And I loved it absolutely loved it because it was partly it was the time like wikipedia didn't quite exist yet uh -huh. and google was still newish not everybody knew and so people would i had to do stuff like find really random questions like has anybody used this combination of worming pills before right which is a a, a now you just google it in those days it wasn't a thing you know you had to go and talk to librarians and and I just really liked the process of digging through these things and finding, I mean, I was looking up farming magazines from the seventies and <laughs> stuff like that, you know, um, or people would say, Oh, have, have, have you seen an instance of this being used for this? And so, yeah, you end up on these sort of weird and wonderful search databases. 
finding weird and wonderful things. And every day was different. And I loved it. Turned out I get bored quite easily. Yeah. So it absolutely fit me to a T. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to do this. And then I was, um, at one point, I ended up sharing an office with a, a trainee patent attorney. And he was so stressed with his exams. And I watched this guy just get so very, very stressed. And I thought, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Another seven years of exams. No. So, um, but it turned out that the role that I had, I could do. So I ended up back in Oxford, um, working for a spin-out company that started at the university. Um, and they made cholesterol testing kits. Um, and I was doing their patent research for them and helping the, the director of IP and licensing. So I learned a lot about patents and IP and licensing and how to read contracts and licensing deals and stuff like that. So I did that for about six or seven years. Uh, and then so you did all the lawyer stuff without having to get the degree. Like you worked around all. Yeah, you did that smart. That's smart. <laughs> Cheaper that way. Yeah. Yeah. And less stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, then had kids and then my husband got a job up in the north. Uh, and we all moved. So but that whole moving in childhood thing comes back again because he said to me, oh, there's this job. I'd really like to apply for it. I think I will get it. But it may, involves moving from uh, near Didcot near Oxford all the way to the north. And I was like, A, I've lived in the north before. <laughs> and B, I've moved before. So we moved and like our youngest was three months old, which most people were like, are you a bit nuts, you know, moving a tiny baby? And I was like, no, nah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and it was fine. Um, so yeah, so we've been here ever since. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to uh, talk about like once you get up there and the writing. So we'll be back in just a sec. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, as always, you guys missed the uh, fascinating part of the conversation that you'll never hear about writers. Um, <laughs> just know we love you. If you're not a writer, it's fine. We love you. Um, so you move, you sort of, you do the patent thing after the PhD. And then wh what do you do when you move up there? Um, I got a job working at the University of Hull, um, which is the local university near us, um, as their IP officer. And I did that for eight years. I'm seeing I'm seeing a pattern. Six to eight years seems to be. Six to eight years, yeah. yeah. Border threshold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, I'm really interested. I figured it out. Okay. 
So, <laughs> so now I'm freelance and I still do that, but I do it for universities all over the country. Oh, um, that's better. Yeah, oh, it's much better. Because yeah. um, you just then just do the job. And yeah. I get to do all the fun stuff, which is seeing all the really cool science after somebody else has done the work. And then I just have to do the sort of feasibility and patent stuff yeah. um, and talk to lawyers. So, um, so yeah, so essentially my job is translating scientist to lawyer and lawyer to scientist. Yeah, it's always good to be that person in the middle because you'll always have a job. Yeah, and um, because of all the sort of upheaval with COVID and everything, everything is now distanced. So it's kind of uh, virtual. Yeah. So I've, I've worked for universities like 300 miles away, places yeah. I've never been to. Um, and yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> I, so I will, nothing good came out of COVID. So, but I'm going to say a thing, but I need to always preface it with like millions of people have died. Like this pandemic is like the worst thing that we've ever yeah. experienced. An interesting thing that has come out of that is the realization that you don't need to be in a place to do work. And I think for writers and creative people, yes. that has given them some ability to focus on their work in a way that you couldn't when you had to be in an office 40 hours a week. I don't know if you feel that way. Um, not so much. I used to I I used to write in bed. So I'd put the kids to bed. <laughs> and it's just this running joke that after 7 p.m. mom has no sense of humor. I'm like, why are you talking to me? Are you on fire? No, don't talk to me. So uh, <laughs> So I'd sit in bed with my laptop and write till 10 o'clock. And then when I left my job, this is before COVID, when I left my job and I had the whole day, I would still only write from seven till 10 at night. I somehow managed to not write in the whole day. Um, I'd manage like a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's like my brain is now trained for that period at night, sitting in bed to write. Um, so yeah, so not being in the office, wasn't so much of a, a thing for me. That's but, good. Uh, Do you write every day for three hours? I try to. It's wow. not always writing. It's <clears throat> kind of sometimes it's other stuff to do with writing, planning sure. stuff, pitching. And, but yeah, something like writing related, usually, unless I, I've just finished a book, in which case I just binge watch Netflix. <laughs> I call all the things writing. Like if you're a writer, writing doesn't just mean putting words in your book. Yeah. Yeah, all the thinking and the planning, it's all, all, yeah. all marinating in there. Yeah, all of it. Or sometimes like reading other things, like mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it is, like your brain is. But for those three hours, your brain is working on that. Yeah, that's that's writing time. Yeah, that's it. Occasionally I'll watch a movie and then really, really wind my family up by going, oh, look, black moment or <laughs> <laughs> look, they saved the cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when did you start the writing in all of this? Because again, I get back to, you seem like a very driven person who. Um, well, I finished my PhD and uh, started working in London. So I was still living in Oxford and commuting to London. So it's quite a long commute, it's like an hour and a half. Um, and I don't know, suddenly like in the evenings, there was nothing that I should be doing. <laughs> handed in my thesis and it was like oh what do I do with myself now um so I signed up for a creative writing course because I thought you know it's something I've always wanted to do um and I did that and learned using short stories mostly I I'm still very bad at writing short stories yeah but I learned the the whole how to write a sentence that 
made sense, you know, <laughs> all of that good stuff that you need to know. <laughs> I practiced on these terrible short stories that I wrote. Um, so, yeah. And then Where did you writing. take the class at? Was it like a university or was it like a writing center? Um, it was the, uh, well, I did two. So one was the Oxpens College of Further Education, which was, um, which is the local FE. And the other one was the Oxford University Continuing Education, which was the slightly fancier uh, course. Yeah. Um, the best thing I got out of that second course was two writing partners. Um, the three yeah. of us all were all looking at the commercial end of things. So women's fiction and young adult, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was writing like the great novel. Yeah. So we ended up sticking together. We used to meet up every week and critique each other's work and knowing that somebody was waiting for my thousand words meant that I wrote the thousand words yeah and without them I would never have finished the first book yeah so it's so, it, yeah. it's interesting when I talk to people about their journey a lot of professional folks do what you did which is I want to write I have to now I have to figure out what that means yeah um and almost all of them talk about the people that they met like very few are like yeah. this course taught me this it's yeah, I learned these things, but then there was this group of people that yeah. became part of my writing world. Yes. And like, you know, we, we wrote together for like 10 years, nearly now. <laughs> no, more than that, probably. Yeah. Um, and we don't yes. do math. We don't do math here on the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The time. Yeah. Those made. numbers start to add up and the numbers yeah. were like, ah, I don't like <laughs> that number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you yeah. guys were all writing stuff that you wanted to write. Instead of like, I need to write the Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. novel. <laughs> yes. With a with an eye on the market. Yeah. Um, which is probably. Uh, Smart. Yeah. Also unusual, I think, um, in certain writing groups. Um, yes. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to be a published writer. I didn't want to just write. <laughs> yeah. Ambitious again. Was, uh, <laughs> when you When you were looking at the market, how did it happen first for you? Did you say like, oh, these are the kinds of stories that I want to write? Or were you like, oh, these are the kinds of stories that people are buying? Oh, no, it's definitely. I, I started like most people, one idea. This is the book. This is my one idea. I still have, um, there's a folder in my computer that says the novel. <laughs> so it's only going to be one, right? And it yeah. was going to be amazing. And it was going to blow everyone away. Yeah. And it took me three years to write that one. And I started sending it out got rejection after rejection after rejection yeah. i got some this is back in the day when you had to print it out and post it so i used to get little slips and sometimes you get a handwritten note which now i know was quite rare to get that yeah that's a big deal yeah and at one point i was i was about to give up i was just like you know what i've been submitting this thing for a year and a half now and nobody said yes and i got this note from uh, an agent called dorothy lumley who is sadly passed now and I never got to meet her to say thank you, which I really regret. Um, a note that said, um, you are good. I just don't know where I would sell this novel, so I'm going to pass. Yeah. But keep trying. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Some respected agent tells me this. Yeah. Um, so then I heard, I can't remember how I heard about it, but I heard about this thing called the Romantic, Romantic Novelists Association. Mm -hmm. So like the RWA, but for the yep. UK much smaller. And they had this thing called the new writer scheme where 200 people every year you join and they mentor you. Essentially you send in your manuscript, your full manuscript, 
and they will somebody who is published in the genre will read it or in the subgenre in fact will read it and give you notes wow and i thought okay well this sounds great yeah you know it's a critique and i know that i will get a, like a women's fiction writer yeah. to read it so i sent it in and she sent me back uh god knows about five six pages of notes um so you know once i finished crying um i read them again thought oh yeah actually that that makes sense so she was saying learn more about plot this sort of thing yeah and then right at the end <laughs> that, i love that that's where you were like learn more about plot like the writing's yeah, great now yeah. let's figure out how to tell a story <laughs> Yeah. That's, pre that's pretty much exactly what the yeah. problem was. I, yeah. Even now I, I look back on the stuff and I'm like, yes, yeah, she was so right. Yeah. <laughs> How but did the I first time that? you hear that as a writer, everybody has that. Like, I remember the day I realized I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah, was exactly. after I was convinced I was about to reshape the literary world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That comes first. Then, yeah. the, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the, let's learn this. Yeah. And then you'll figure out if you're actually a professional writer or not. If you go to, yeah. if you get that second thing and go, okay, they're not yeah. just being mean. Uh, they're not stupid. They, you know, I don't know everything. That yeah. next step then sort of determines where you're going to be. Yeah, exactly. So right at the end, she said, one of the things um, I noticed is that you're trying really hard and you're trying too hard and um, you've got a comedy voice waiting to get out. She said, why don't you just write something for fun? Put this aside for a year. Give yourself a year to write something for fun. Um, so I thought, okay. And the other thing she said was go out and network, meet more writers. Yeah, 100%. Even if you take, she said, even if you have to take a day off work, go to London, go to an RNA event, come and find me if you need to. Um, and, you know, um, so I, I did that. I did both those things. Yeah. Um, so my first book was about, it was women's fiction, but it was about uh, Sri Lankan main characters. And I still kept submitting it and kept collecting rejections, but in I took a year and I wrote a book for fun and I wrote a rom-com with white characters. And that's, that is this one. In fact, that's the first one that got published. So, and that got an offer about a year after I started submitting it. Do you so, think it was because of the characters were white? Do you think it's because I know we had talked about that a little bit in yeah. the email about the name change or was it yeah. because you were a better writer or both? Both. Yeah. Definitely both. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I, also, we all do the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, because it was a rom-com, it suited my voice better. Yeah. Did you know and, that going in? Like when you started writing the rom-com, did you know, like I'm funny? It's not so much that I just thought this is so much easier. <laughs> and it was cause it just came out. More yeah. naturally. That's your I voice. Like, is this the right word for this place? Am yeah. I getting the right amount of depth? None of that. It just came out. <laughs> yeah. It's I've told people, you know, writers, the biggest gift the writer gets is when they find their voice. Yeah. Because when it's, it clicks. Yeah. Yeah. You're not fighting anymore. It's not always great. It's not always easy, but there isn't yeah. a it just happens. It just it, yeah. you can't make it not happen. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the moment you felt that? Uh, not so much a moment, but I think it was, it was kind of a creeping realization. And as you're working when, on girl on the run, like when I finished the book, I looked back and I thought it only took me a year. <laughs> like I thought it takes three years to write a book. This only took me a year and it was so much fun. And then when I read it back, you can tell I was having fun. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it weird? 
Like so I, I also, when I would teach writing, I would tell students, oh, I know what mood you were in when you wrote this. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, cause I'm a professional writer. Like I can tell, I can tell. You, yeah, I can tell yeah. where you're at because of the, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. It's not in the words. It's kind of behind the words. Yeah. yeah. It's like some magical thing where you're like, oh, that's what voice is. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're <laughs> mad at me or like you're upset or like you don't know what you're doing. That yeah. comes through. So that's great. That must have been a great feeling to be done and sort of like, holy shit, like yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And then I thought, OK, well, because of the Romantic Novelist Association, again, um, uh, it was full of people who wrote a book a year. Yeah. And I was like, OK, well, I'm going to do it again next year. Basically, if you want to stay in the new writer scheme, you write a book a year yeah. so that you get your money's worth and you get a man, uh, critique for a new book <laughs> each year. So, uh, yeah, so I, I thought, right, I'm going to do it again. So I wrote a sequel. Um, and by the time I got my critique back for the sequel, I think I knew I was going to get an offer for the, for the first. first one. So, and the same publisher took the second book. I mean, yeah, because um, <laughs> I'm assuming it, you were getting more comfortable with your writing. I'm assuming that book was not easier, but like you knew you, you knew it was happening. Yeah. And it was again, it was a year and uh, I was getting the hang of plot. <laughs> <laughs> I would I get that on a coffee mug. Like you should learn about plot. Yeah, get the hang of plot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really, it's funny now. It really is one of the funniest things I've ever heard on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it just doesn't make sense. And then suddenly it does. Yeah, 100%. When I, yeah, when I teach people, um, I, I, I teach with a, a friend of mine called Jane Lovering and we do a course called How to Write Romantic Comedy. And in fact, let me flash the book in front of you. No. Oh, we well, uh, got a whole book about it. Yeah, we did a we did a, a talk for the Romantic Novelist Association once. And uh, we have a similar sense of humor, but we're very, very different types of people. So I'm slightly academic. -y. <laughs> and Jane is is like not. <laughs> she's not. like a firecracker. Yeah. She's just <laughs> yeah. like she just fires information at you. And she's very funny. And um, we gave this talk. And like three years later, people were saying, have you got a second talk? Because we had so much fun. We learned so much. And it was, I mean, so we were like, okay, well, we could do a second talk. But to make it different, we'd have to get really into the weeds of comedy and like structures of jokes and stuff. And it's something we we talk about when we meet. Yeah. Like, did you watch this? Did you did you watch Ted Lasso? This was funny because, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the Ted Lasso, I noticed you, you got behind you, the Ted Lasso rom-com episode. Absolute genius. Yeah. Well, Absolutely which, beautiful. Which one? The the one where the weird uh, one where Beard is on a trip. <laughs> no, it's the one where um Ted just says, I'm just a coach standing in front of a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. When he, yeah, yeah, when the whole was, episode yeah. has all this, yeah. Has all the rom com throwbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was oh brilliant. If that anyway. writing is, I mean, this is why writers are the worst, right? Because you can't watch anything and just enjoy it. You're like <laughs> Here's the mechanisms that they did, and that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're still, what is the mechanism that they did? Can we just rewind it yeah. again? Yeah. yeah. And like, how can I use like I'm stealing that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it not as good as the original, but nobody else will know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, that's yeah. great. So be because because of these being exposed to these people a lot, I was like, oh, a book a year. That's normal. Let's do a book a year. Yeah. 
Um, and the other thing was we had a Yahoo group. Remember Yahoo groups? Oh, my um, God. Yeah, we had a Yahoo oh group. God. And I used to lurk on it because I was like, you know, I was this unpublished writer. Sure. And there were people who have been writing for like 20 odd years, people who were in the bestsellers charts. Yeah who were talking to each other about the business, which was an insight that I had not had before. I tell people this all, I just did a workshop for people about the business of writing. It's the thing writers learn last, if they learn yeah. it at all. Yes, well, yeah. Well, actually the things writers learn last is about rights. <laughs> well, but that's all part of the business. Yeah. Like, because so, the publisher wants those, right? And you're like, well, look, if the people making money want those, I need to have some discussions about that. Well, I, I do. Um, I'm just putting together a course about it, but I've, I've taught it for the RNA before where you have to view your publisher as a business partner. We've been trained to be grateful. Oh, right. publisher, publish my book. And you're like, oh, here, take it, take it. Give me whatever crumbs you want to throw yeah. my way. And it's not. You need to look at your royalties and go, OK, at the beginning, 100 percent of anything I earn from this book is mine. Right. What I'm doing is I am, they're not paying me 30%. I'm giving them 70%. Yes. So that they can do the editing, the packaging, the marketing, all of that. So it's fine that they get 70%. I am getting what is left after they've taken their share. They're not paying me. I'm yeah. paying them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we negotiated the rights back to our first book. Mm -hmm. This was right when ebooks were coming out because we knew at yeah. some point, unless it sold a you know a bunch, it was going to go out of print, mm -hmm. and they used ebooks as a way to make sure the book never goes out of print. So yeah. we put a number and we said this will count as not in print anymore if you sell less than X the, amount yeah. of these ebooks yeah. a year over the course of two years, and those rights revert back to us. And I mean, the day that that was over, I sent an email and we got the rights to the book back. Cause I was like, look, man, this is our intellectual property and we've now yeah. done other things with that. Yeah. Well, like, you see now you can bring out an ebook, you can bring out a print book. You can yeah, bring out. It's never product. out of print. You, yeah. And you can do all of that yourselves. Right. Whereas before you could not. Yeah. And you kind of had to rely on the publisher to do that. Yeah. Now you have all this power and we don't appreciate how much power yeah. we have and how many options we have. And sometimes people don't even appreciate it that it's not, it's not just a book. It's more than a book because yeah. an ebook is not the same as a paperback. It's not the same as, a, and yeah. So yeah. because I'm an IP bot, yeah. <laughs> um, I got my first contract, not my first contract, second set of contracts. And I looked at it and like alarm bells went off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So You're I putting red lines through things like, nope. Yeah, I didn't nope. have an agent and I, yeah. Yeah. So I had a conversation with the yeah. publisher and the publisher basically said, uh, you know, they answered a few questions and basically went, that's the offer. Do you want yeah. it or not? Yeah. And I thought, I want my books in the bookshop. I really, really want this. And I really want to be able to hold this book, you know? Yeah. So I signed it. Stupid idea. Um, <laughs> because, because what happened eventually was that I didn't get to hold the books because they were ebook first. Oh. Which I took to mean ebook first, paperback second. Yeah, that's not what that meant. That's not what that means. No. Um, <laughs> if it means, sells well, then it'll it be a paperback. Well. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. two books with no paperback. And obviously, so they didn't get into the shops. And then, yeah. And then it, the sales just dropped as they do. 
Um, and so eventually I had to buy the rights back. Oh God, they, uh, you had to buy them back. I had to buy them back. Um, which was, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have them back yeah. because now they are out in print and mm -hmm. I can hope not in bookshops. Fine. Because I self-published them, but yeah. you know, but you uh, can still through self-publishing, like if you use lightning source or Lulu here in the yeah, country, exactly. they can yeah. get, you get them in libraries. You can call bookshops and they can be ordered. Like exactly. Yeah. By anyone, yeah. I tell you what, man, the, the business of writing literally was what the workshop was called. Uh, I think for writers is one of the most important things in their career that they can do. But it's the last thing they look at. I know. Well, because think about it, like creative writing programs don't teach it. If you, if you no. look at, if you look at like, like Gotham Writers Workshop or places, there's no business of writing classes. No, exactly. Because they're set up before and it's changing so fast. Right. And, and people need to first learn about plot. <laughs> well, first you can learn a plot. Yeah. yeah. First learn about plot. Yeah. I, I wrote, um, <laughs> I wrote a book about it called, there we go. Getting published is just the beginning. Yeah. And that is, it's mainly aimed at traditional publishers in the UK because that's the market that I know. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, and it, it's like all of the questions that have come up in various classes that I've talked about where people will be like, how much say do you get about your cover? <laughs> <laughs> you get to see it. You get to see it. You get to say what you think about it, yeah. but you get an email back telling you why you're wrong. Yeah. You know, um, and see that like was that. we built that into our contract as well, that we ah, got final say over the and I told I told my writing partner, here are my red lines like we get the cover, we get the rights back. And there was one other thing. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, if they don't let us do that, we're not publishing with them. Like, yeah. And that's just the other thing is that the negotiation. Often people think, oh, you need an agent to negotiate money. You don't. You need an agent. Well, you do, but you, yeah. you need an agent to negotiate which rights they're taking, which yeah. ones they're not taking. Yeah. And all of the peripheral stuff, which is actually slightly more important than the money in yeah. the long run. Yeah. No, 100%. And like, if you give something up, like, what do I get back? Yeah. Again, yeah. like you say, like, I'm paying you. You don't just get that. What do I get in return for this thing? Exactly. What am and, I paying you for? <laughs> yeah. And so John and I did this thing where I was like, I'm going to be the asshole. And you be the one that talks to him later. And that uh, was, we, and I, so I would just be like, we're not doing it. I'm done. And then John would be like, I think we can probably do it if we do this. And I don't know if that worked, but we got everything we wanted. Excellent. <laughs> I have That's, an agent now and I, I have a checklist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I can, I, I'll send you a link to the checklist because that's a free download. Um, I have a checklist and I go through it and I'm like, so my contract will arrive. I'll sit there with the checklist. I'll go through it. And then when I phone my agent, I'm going through my checklist with her. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, that's great. This, yeah. I, this is, I rarely talk about like writing stuff on the show, but like the business of writing is the thing I'm always most interested in because I, yeah. if, if, if you think of your career as a career, that's where the career gets made. Is, exactly. And these things last so long, yeah, 70 years perfect. after you die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. need to look after it now. <laughs> I can't remember. I think when I was at Wired, I think Chuck D told me the story when they were doing their albums, they had a there was like a line in one of the contracts that said in this in all other unknown universes. And they were like, what? No. Like, like, that's crazy. <laughs> but like yeah. some lawyer was like, I don't know if we land on another planet. I want to still own the rights to this. 
Well, um, what is it? Media not yet invented. That's coming in. I've seen it in because occasionally I get sort of informally people are like, can you look at this contract? Um, <laughs> That's funny. And I will, I will always direct them to like, you know, the more formal like Society of Authors. And, yeah. Alliance of Independence authors and stuff like that. But sometimes they'll come back and say, well, I spoke to them and they said this, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So I'm often like translating lawyer to people again, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Th yeah. That has been a career that's extended like all through different things. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it um, because it's the least important um, thing, but you have books under one name. Yeah. And now you have books under your name. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, so Jeevani Tarika is my name. Um, and you know, that first book that I couldn't get a contract on. Yeah. Uh, 11 years later, something like that. Uh, I, I got an agent with, uh, with, so I wrote another book with Sri Lankan characters in it because that's what I wanted to write. And then I got an agent with that book. And so 11, more than 11 years later, uh, that, first book got published oh really? um, yeah so that was it was the second book in a two book deal that's this one Kivani Tarika that's um, the one that you initially wrote that the, you yeah. got the critique that says put this away for a year yeah learn to plot yeah that's yeah. one and and I, I I did learn to plot and I restructured it and um yeah so that got published and then that got shortlisted for an award so you know well done little book um so it's it's the book of my heart. There's always one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's the book of my heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that the first got, one under your name? That was actually the second one under my. Uh, oh no, it's the second in a two book deal, so it would have been the third one that came out under gotcha, my gotcha. name. So the first one that came out under my real name is this one, Christmas at the Palace. Uh huh. Which came about because my shiny new agent, who was busy trying to get me a a deal on this different book was having a drink with an editor um, and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had just announced their engagement. And this editor said, what I would love is a rom-com about a woman of color who marries a prince. And my agent went, I know somebody who can do that. <laughs> oh, so you didn't even have it. She was like, <laughs> she was like, yeah, we got it. Yeah, it'll yeah, be there yeah. in about six yeah. months. <laughs> give, me, give me the brief. Yeah. <laughs> so she phoned up and she said, can you write a book in three months? And I was like, yep. uh, yeah. You know, it's a challenge. I'm up for a challenge. Yeah. So what's, um, what's the money look like? I'll tell you once I know what the money looks like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They were actually offering an advance. So that was good. Yeah. Yes, but. I'd, ne I'd never had a like reasonable advance before. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So uh, it was really, really hard. I've never written a book that fast before. Yeah. But I wrote it for three months. Um, and then I really had to learn to plot. Because my previous plotting experience was like, now I know what, a sh what the shape of a book is like. Yeah. I do like a few bullet points. Yeah. And then I just go for it. And then if I need to rearrange my bullet points, I do that as I go. Right. But this, because it was so tight, I had to submit like a list of scenes. Oh, like you like you had to outline the whole thing. I had to do proper outlining, which was uh, a hell of a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I know how to do that. Google how to outline a yeah. book. <laughs> oh, I, I Google that every time. How to write a book? Every yeah. time. Every book. <laughs> In case the secret is up, you know? <laughs> you are delightful. <laughs> but that's also the business of writing, right? Like you're in the right yeah. place at the right time. You have the skill to do it. Your agent yeah. does the thing, which is like, yeah, we got this. Yeah, we got this. You guys yeah. are like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. We got to yeah. do this now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
so that was uh, luckily my my family were very supportive because I was yeah. really cranky for three months. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and I'm I'm sure nervous after because you're like, yeah, is yeah. this even any good? Like I know. Well, yeah. Like that was quite reassuring actually. The I mean I always kind of knew that writing fast wasn't writing bad, but I didn't really know it until I got the proof. Yeah. And I read through the proof and I was like, it had been long enough that I I wasn't immersed in it anymore. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Actually, this is quite good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and they said they wanted to use my real name. So I was like, yeah, okay. The main character is Sri Lankan. I'll go with that. So, yeah. So, so now, yeah. Do, so, you, do you still write under both names or now are you just exclusively writing under yours? Or do you have two brands? All of the traditional publishing is as Jeevani Charika. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the latest one is coming out in October from HarperCollins. That's so, playing yeah, all club. of the, uh, Playing for Love was, yeah, that's already out. Okay. Oh, the it's, new, you got a new one coming out. So I got a new one coming out, which is the same world as Playing for Love. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so all of the traditional publishing is Jeevan Charika. Now, coincidentally, because I bought my rights back for the Rhoda Baxter books, they are now all self-published. But um, the brands kind of, originally they were one was women's fiction and one was rom-com but now i'm going more rom-com yeah because that's what the publishers wanted so yeah this uh I'm, I'm quite happy to keep both brands going i still do the teaching mostly as rhoda baxter because that's what i've been doing for 10 years yeah so it seems a shame to lose that yeah but it also is a weird like it's a weird part of this system right like the business yeah. of writing is yeah. that pen names is just nuts isn't it yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I, I understand, like, I understand when people do it when they're like, well, I'm a sci-fi writer and now I'm going to do this thing and the audience isn't going to be the same. And so I need them. Yeah. Like, I understand that part of it. It's still yeah. weird, but that is not the thing that happened to you. No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That is That's the part not. that I find really strange. And particularly I've tried over the last, you know, several months to have, rom-com um, particularly romance writers because i am fascinated by the romance market because it is so created by these women who are sort of doing it and not really accepted as part of the literary like you don't yeah see, yeah you know like yeah. but it's just fascinating because they built that entire business up they published so many books people love it they have big audiences it's just fascinating to me that yeah they, they, they create these niches like from nothing yeah um, I mean, that's it's uh, doesn't happen quite so much in the UK getting there, but like the US indie romance market. Crazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And all built by the, the writers because yeah. the literary establishment has largely said, like, that's not right. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, yeah, we're going to do this anyway. And like, you're like, holy shit. Like, it's I'm just I'm blown away. Uh, also, the kind of because uh, a lot of romance writers are deeply embedded in the readership. Because we're readers, right? Yeah. So we kind of have a good idea of the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you, so like I'm saying things like, "Oh, these are these these are going to be hot soon, right? Yeah. Because they're, they're hot in America, they will be hot here soon. Yeah. And my agent's going, "Really? I've not heard that." <laughs> and yeah, no, yeah. the indie romance market is 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 having a formative effect on the market in three four years time. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that that is just my observation of having talked to people and been 
I'm always interested when systems sort of don't pay attention to the things that are happening. I'm like, I bet there's really interesting stuff going on over there. Right. That's disrupting yeah. what these people want. <laughs> well, I mean, even uh, even right uh, from the early days, I used to always look to the indie market to yeah. see how marketing should be done. Because they change, they change really quickly mm -hmm. in response to what the readers want. Yeah. And yeah. So even though I'm like, I'm kind of put in each camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part trad, part, part uh, indie. Yeah. I, but I, I also think that they are not, I mean, they're related. It's sort of like everything else you've done, right? Like you do the science stuff and then you end up with a patent thing, but they sort of go yeah. together. Like the rom-com and the romance stuff, there is a, there's a sizable crossover. And as I've been yeah. reading more of those, I'm like, okay, I see this. Like, yeah. I get the, this. The UK romance market is a lot less granular than the US because it's a smaller market. Sure. Um, and so the romantic fiction sort of women's fiction type thing and romance all comes under one big umbrella. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would, I mean, if there were ways that I could have different covers in the U S to the UK, because here illustrated covers are standard. Yeah. Whereas in the U S they have a particular meaning. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so like if you do your books for the market here, the covers for the market here, which is my main readership anyway, because sure. my sense of humor is, very British. Um, <laughs> well, British and Sri Lankan. Turns out it's the same sense of humor. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so if I if I do the covers for the market here, they don't fully represent what they are in the US, which is really annoying. <laughs> yeah, no. And TikTok isn't a category, so. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, yes, all of that. Yeah. Although I love the illustrated covers and I've interviewed so many people from Europe and I have so many of them here. Like that to me is what rom-com covers should be now. Like if it's not yeah. illustrated, I've just read so many. I'm like, well, that's the sort of signifier that that's, this is what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, well, listen, definitely in the UK, it's, it's the norm. Yeah. I've just, and I've, that is the primary group of people that I've interviewed in this, uh, in this sort of genre. So it, for me, that's the cover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you are delightful. Absolutely <laughs> delightful. And I thank you so much for spending an hour with me on this ridiculous show that we do. Oh, it's fun. It's always fun. Now <laughs> you can, I can witter on about books or cake, whichever. Yeah. Yeah, Lego. Yeah, we started like <laughs> I don't know if the Legos that will be in the show, but like we started with Legos. We've covered yeah. a lot of Legos to hard science to rom coms to IP. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty good run. Um, yeah. So, playing for love is out now. Playing for love is out now. And when you have one coming out, when October? October. Wow, and what's that one called? Picture perfect. Picture perfect. So now you're like you're writing books now. Fast. Yeah, yeah. Trying, trying to do two a year. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> I hope you take a vacation. Yeah, well, I'm going to the RNA conference this weekend. That's, which that's is work. my vacation. Yeah, that's no. not, no, yeah. No, 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 I get to be me. No, I don't have any, like, children asking me to do things. Okay, Fantastic. it's a mom vacation. <laughs> it's a mom vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's work, but it's different work. <laughs> yeah, I also get the sense, and I only have known you for an hour, that maybe too much time with nothing going on, you're going to start filling that with things to do. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I have Will a you... TBR file that's waiting to eat me. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you have a great day. It was lovely to talk to you. And uh, I really hope we can do this again in the future. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you.
just fucking delightful. I was not lying. And I just, I, I know I said it at the beginning, and I'm going to say it here at the end as well. I am just delighted by people who seem enchanted by the world in way, in the way that uh, Jiminy Cherica is. Just so interesting, smart, funny. I happen to like all that nerdy stuff. So like the lawyer into the patent law, like all of that stuff. Then talking about the business of writing, like that's just, it's so good. It's so good. And I'm really excited to read her books because uh, I've been doing this long enough that you can kind of tell when people have a voice, even before I pick up their stuff. And it is very clear she knows who she is and what her voice is. And what a goddamn gift. You hear me say that all the time. But it's a gift. Before we get out of here, a couple of reminders. If you like this interview and what you heard, I need you to tell your friends about us and leave us a review either over at Apple Podcasts or at our Facebook page. I know you think that it's not a big deal, but it's literally how we get found. This doesn't cost you nothing. So, like, you know, pay it forward a little bit. Uh, we are part of the Solid Listed Podcast Network. There are 12 other shows on the program. You can support all of them with our Patreon, uh, which you can find either at the Solid Listen Podcast Network website or over at the Writer's Jam website. Uh, and the big show on here is Mother May I Sleep With Podcast with our host and Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly MacLear. Don't forget, three shows right here on this channel. You don't have to know what they are. If you get subscribed, they'll just show up on your phone on Mondays and Wednesdays. The Jam comes out on Wednesday. That's this hour-long program. And on Mondays, we have either the After Party, which is our Q&A show, and Jam Sessions, which is a deep dive into a topic written about. It's a nonfiction show. It's a lot of fun. Both are great. Get subscribed. You won't miss anything. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. As long as I'm not going through, you know, some of the depressive stuff where sometimes I stay off social media. But 99% of the time, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at The Radish Jam. Until the next time, I will see y'all around the internet. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.